0: To the living room, room north,
1: living room north, living room north, podcast. Hey, in just a second, uh, Chapman is going to come up here. Let me tell you a few things uh, before he gets up here. Um, Chapman is uh, a 19-year-old uh, stud from UNG. Um. Born and raised in this here parts. and uh, a few things you need to know. Uh, he, he's just like one of you. Uh, he loves Toaster Strudels, um, Dr. Pepper. Uh, let's see here. Um, favorite movie, I think, is When Harry Met Sally. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, great movie. Um, and uh, let's see, what else? What else do I know about this man? Loves Star Wars. Huge fan of Star Wars. And in fact, yeah, Bella's in, in the house. Um, if you're here for Spooky Disco, these two um, uh, young people, they uh, dress up as Han and Leia. It was fantastic. Yes. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, in, in this uh, young man's 19 uh, years of life, he's experienced, honestly, a whole lot more than I could ever uh, even imagine. And um, again, the reason why we wanted to to share his story is because not only is he just one of you, there's a chance that you might not ever get to hear Uh, his story. And um, it's incredible. And so um, here's the thing. uh, If you were here last week, you know during Joey's, um, after he's done sharing in about 20 minutes, uh, you uh, are going to have the opportunity to listen to him to respond to some of your questions that you might have. So if you look on the screen, we have a number there that at any moment during uh, Chapman's uh, story, if you're like, oh man, I would love to hear uh, more about fill in the blank, or it's like, hey, you mentioned this, how did you deal with that. Um, Just text in your question uh, to that number on the screen. Uh, Like we mentioned last week, there's no way we could get to all your questions, but you all did a phenomenal job uh, last Tuesday night uh, with some incredible questions um, that we were able to talk about. So without further ado, would you please help me welcome to the stage Mr. Chapman Lowe.
0: Okay. Okay. Hey everybody, Uh, just to start off, I want you to all know it was 100% my idea to convince Bella to dress up like Han and Leia. So uh, Ryan took a lot of my intro of what I was gonna say about myself, but the few things I do have, uh, I was gonna mention Dr. Pepper and Toaster Strudels because you know, of course, I do have the back pain of a 65-year-old coal miner. So when I do stand up from this chair, if you see me struggle, don't worry. It's been like this since I was you know, 12. And the last thing I was gonna say is, I was gonna talk about my best friend for a minute. Um, he's short and he's a little bit chubby, but we still love him. He, uh, he's kind of hairy and he's a dog. And his name is Tater, and he's the best Ottoman you could ever ask for. And I love him more than anything. Uh, Okay, so uh, I was trying to think of a good intro to start all of this because, you know, I wanted you guys to get the idea or the, you know, the illusion that I was pretty cool. So, you know, I wore my cool shirt and I tried my best and I came up with absolutely no intro whatsoever. I tried so hard and I got nothing. So we're just going to hop right into it. Boom. That's my family. There's seven of us. It's way too many for one house, but we live with it. And as you can tell, some of us look different than others. Mainly me and my brother. So uh, that's my dad. He's worked at a church for probably 20 plus years. And then that's my mom. She's worked at a church probably also 20 uh, 20 years. So you know it makes sense that I am where I am right now. Uh, The tallest one. That's my brother. He's 16 and he's supposed to be 6'5, so you know that makes me feel real good about myself. Uh, the blonde one, that's my biological, uh, my biological sister Teddy. She's the Wonder Kid, and I'm a little bit jealous of her every day. And then the two other ones, that's uh, Nikki on the right and Haley on the left, and we got them as of Christmas. We didn't like steal them or anything. Officially, we're adopting them currently, but they live at our house and they are very loud. But I love it when I get to go home because, you know, they're great and everything. But, uh, Yeah, so I just wanted to give you a little background on my family before, because I'm just gonna talk about them a good bit. So, you know, that's who they look like, that's what they are. So yeah, uh, you know, once again, no segue into what I'm talking about next. So you just have to bear with me. Uh, Eighth grade, that's what we're gonna go with. Uh, I went to transit, which is, you know, here, but everyone else is 12. That's kind of what transit is. and. uh i had a really good small group leader because you know you do small group and all that but uh he really he really poured into me his name was kevin and he tried so hard and he saw that i was this little weird kid and i know you're like oh Chapman, you're not weird i knew where i stood i was a weird kid in middle school so kevin really poured into me because he could tell i really didn't have that many friends but it was okay and he uh, and i think it was probably mostly him that built my faith into where it was. I felt like I was the max, you know, Jesus follower for an eighth grader, you know, cause you know, 14, where can you really be? But I felt like I, I had almost maxed out, even though I was struggling with, you know, the whole social side of things, but Sunday mornings were always my favorite part of church. And so second semester of uh, eighth grade is when things started not being as great as they were at that point. Um, so first thing, eighth grade boys, they eat, right? like a whole lot, I eat a whole lot, but they eat like twice as much as I do. And first, the first thing that ever happened was I noticed that I pretty much quit eating. Like I wouldn't go down and eat dinner with my family. I would skip breakfast because you know, I was always late for school. And then for lunch, I'd just eat like some minimum thing just so you know I had nutrition to you know, make it through the day. And so that I originally thought that was weird, but it would go through stages where I would eat a whole lot and then not. And then eventually other things started happening along with the food that I was like, okay, this is getting weird. Like music has always been one of my greatest you know, passions and all that but I just couldn't find any music that I really wanted to listen to. There was nothing that was you know, soothing my desire for what I needed to listen to. And then also, this was when Netflix had just surfaced and I was like, oh, I can binge this all day. And I couldn't find anything I wanted to watch. Nothing was you know, really suiting the, the desire I had. So I would get home, I wouldn't eat dinner, I would go straight upstairs and I would just lay down and do nothing. I couldn't fall asleep and I would just lay there and stare at the ceiling, stare at the wall, hug tater, all that goodness. And it started where it was just a couple hours at a time where like in the morning of a school day, I would just be having a horrible time. And by the time I was leaving, it was great. And then it moved into where it was a couple days. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, not, this is not great. And then eventually it moved into a couple weeks. And then at that point I thought, okay, this is you know, how I'm gonna end up. This is who I am now. I thought it was permanent. And so that had happened the entire semester of my second semester of eighth grade. And I just you know, eventually came to the conclusion. I was like, all right, I'm an eighth grader that doesn't do anything and I don't even eat. So we'll see how that goes. But at the end of eighth grade, does anyone, did anyone go to Savannah at the end of eighth grade if you're from here? A good bit. So for all of you that didn't go to Savannah, cause you know, you're losers uh, and <laughs> Savannah, it's actually not that fun. You drive down, you go to the beach for 10 minutes, you go see a fort, you, you like eat at this strip and then you drive back. That's really all it is. It's not that fun, but you know, it's far away from home. So you're an eighth grader and you think that's cool. So on the way back, we stop at like this college football museum thing. It's not the cool one in Atlanta. It was like the original one that was just kind of like, meh. And it's in Macon because, you know, Macon, yeah, sorry for from Macon. <laughs> and so there's this big field and they had, we like went through all of the museum and everything. And then there's this big catered lunch outside. So everyone's sitting on the ground eating and everything. And the buses are all around the field. And towards the end of it, I begin crying. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, 14 year old boys, we don't have feelings. So I'm not allowed to cry. So I'm going to go to the bathroom and I figure this out. So I go into the bathroom. And by the time I get into like the stall, I begin to sob like uncontrollably. And I begin to shake. I can't even bring myself to talk. And I eventually throw up. And it's about 45 minutes of this just awful thing, like an awful reaction my body is like having, and I don't know what it is. And it's freaking me out really bad. And I don't know what to do. So eventually I collect myself probably about 45 minutes later. It was a long time. And I walk back out to the field and everybody is gone. And I think they left me at first. And then I realized the buses are there. So that was okay. And then the principal and two teachers walk up and they're like, where were you? And I was like, I was in the bathroom. And they were like, we looked in there. And I was like, not good enough. So they... <laughs> So they're like asking me all these questions. I'm like, I was just in the bathroom. Can I like get back on the bus? Cause my eyes are puffy. My face is obviously very red. I look just, you know, kind of weak. And so they let me back on the bus. Oh, side note, they also called my parents to see if they knew where I was. Cause you know, that makes sense. And so I'm, I walk all the way cause my bus is the very first bus. So I have to walk past. All the buses that I made wait for me while I you know, was having a good time in the bathroom. And I went and I had to walk through down that little skinny aisle. And I went and sat down and everyone was kind of like, okay, okay, you good? And I was like, of course I am, what am I? And so I get home and my parents are like, so you got anything to tell us? And I'm like, nope. And I go upstairs. And so... It is, all of the things where the food and, you know, not wanting to do anything at all, having no energy whatsoever, progressed all throughout the summer. And towards the end of summer, I wrote it down. I was like, okay, this is definitely not normal, but I haven't spoken to anyone about it. I've shoved it down. I've just been living with it. So I was like, I'm going to write it down, look at it, see what exactly is going on. So this is the first time I saw it in writing and not just a recurring thought, a reoccurring, you know, idea that I had in my head. So after seeing it, I was like, okay, maybe this is real, or maybe this is just a phase I'm going through. And so, you know, my mom, being a good mom she is, she finds it. And so she picks me up from football, because, you know, I'm 14 still, and she takes me to Zaxby's, my favorite place in the world, and you can't argue with me about that. And she pulls out the paper after I finish eating. So I'm in this illusion that, you know, my mom just wants me to have a good meal. And she puts it down, and she's like, what is this? And I look at her, and I'm like, You got me, that's not my handwriting. So I lie and we get home and then she makes me, whenever I'm in trouble, my parents take me into their bedroom and then they lock the door behind them and they make me sit on the couch and they both lean against the bed and they're like, so. And so that's always been the scariest thing. So my mom's like, hey, can you come in here with me? And I'm like, oh God, this is, this is it. And so I go in there and my dad's sitting on the bed, getting ready to say so. And they sit me down, they lock the door behind them because you know, that's not scary. And they basically are like, you have to tell us about this. And I was like, I guess. Okay, so I start talking about it. I start like, talking about all of it, not just, you know, what happened at Savannah, not in in like this whole semester, I was just like, I basically vented because I had not talked to anybody about it this whole time. I didn't really know what was going on. And so I cried in front of my parents for the first time, I think, since I was like five. So that was a a whole thing that I have never lived down. Um, and so I start telling him this, and my dad's like, "Okay, we're gonna get your brain scanned." And I was like, "I'm not a lab rat. We're not gonna do that." And he's like, "No, of course we are." And I'm like, "No, no, we're not." And so we fight about it, and we end up going. So <laughs> we get to this thing, and it's like this big fancy place, and they had to scan like scan my brain and everything. And so fun fact, I did fall asleep in the MRI machine. They had to do it again. It was super funny to me, but no one else thought it was funny. <laughs> so. After we rescan, after I fell asleep the first time, they come back, we come back like a week later and there's all these maps of my brain and they come up with two diagnosis, diagnoses? Is that, I don't, I, multiple diagnosis, I don't know. So they come up with two of them. And so there's all these different maps and one's like a heat map. And so it's like where the activity is. And they show like a normal brain and then they show my brain. And so the frontal lobe where, you know, long-term reasoning and all the important things are, uh, is supposed to have like, white is like super hot and like activity. So there's supposed to be like three dots in these certain places. And they looked at mine and it was just hot white. And I was like, okay, that's not normal. So we have two diagnoses from this, diagnosis. I'm sticking with that, from what it says. So the first one is pretty well known. It's ADD, which I... Honestly, I don't think anyone's surprised uh, by the, you know, no gasp at all. So ADD, if you don't know what it is, it's attention deficit disorder, which basically means I have a very, very short attention span. Uh, I can't really read that well. Like I can, but like I just, after like a paragraph, I'm like, okay, I got to find something else to do. And it's just very hard for me to focus on one thing. And As you can tell, I'm very squirrely. So that's ADD. And my parents were like, okay, duh, we've known him. So That wasn't any of a surprise. But the second thing was bipolar disorder and mental health on my dad's side of the family. So like my dad, his brother, their dad, his brother and his brother. So that was a a family tree of, uh uh-oh. So (laughs) I don't know if that, it's my family. So I'm allowed to make that joke. Uh, So they find out it's uh, bipolar disorder, which everyone here is from Georgia mostly. Mostly. Okay, everyone knows what the Goliath is, right? Six flags, it's a gigantic, gigantic roller coaster. And so it goes starts up way up high and it goes way down low and does all these things. And so basically I'm gonna equate that in terms because bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. So that's basically my mood. It goes from manic, which is like, have you ever had a thought late at night and then you're like, This is such a good idea, and then you wake up and it's not a good idea? Well, like in manic episodes, it's you think it's a good idea, and then you do it. And sometimes you don't remember, and these can last from a couple hours to a couple days to a couple weeks. And then depressive episodes, I think most of you know what that is. It's, you know, low energy. You're sad all the time. You have, uh, for me, I have horrible, you know, like self-deprecating thoughts that are, you know, not pretty. And so it goes back and forth. It's very, you know, very up and down, very crazy. And so they're like, okay, okay. Um, cool. And then we really didn't know what to do after that because I was very, you know, hellbent on not taking medicine. I did not want to do that. That was not what I was going to do. I thought I was fine without it. So after that, that was it. And so everything had begun escalating by the time we eventually had to go to that. Everything had gotten way worse and way worse and way worse. So we end up in junior year. And by this time I had begun self-harming and suicidal thoughts had come into the picture, and. By that time, my face from what it was you know, in eighth grade had dwindled down to about nothing. And so if you wanna to go to the next picture, uh, this is my friend Clay in the middle and Will on the right. Uh, this kind of shows that I am actually not the cool one because you know, we were trying our best to all look cool and that's what it ended up looking like. Um, so these two have been my best friends, Clay since sixth grade and Will since freshman year. And we're all still best friends even though we live multiple hours apart. I love them. Like my brothers, and they're wonderful. Uh, So we were all we were like you know the squad all through high school, and so we all met at Inside Out, which you know you know how you're all 12. We're up to 15 because it's the high school environment. Um, So they've been my best friends this entire time. I've loved them, but my faith I haven't loved quite as much, and it has dipped down to about where I just go to support them, and I don't really go for myself anymore. I just like you know being with my friends. And so this is all junior year. Everything has you know, escalated to where it was and my faith had done the exact opposite. And December of 2016 was junior year. I attempted suicide for the very first time. And I was with my, uh, my best friend at the time. She found me and she called my mom because you know, she was a good friend. And the next day they took me to the hospital. And now when I say hospital, I just want to clarify it's like a behavioral health center but i've always called it the hospital and you know it's a lot shorter than behavioral health center so we're just going to go with hospital so they take me to this hospital and it's basically like you stay there and they basically keep you safe there's and you do like group therapy and stuff like that it's it kind of sucks so i went there the first time and i did not want to stay for the life of me i just was against it you know with my whole soul so i lied and everything and i didn't end up having to stay which Never do that. If you get taken to any place like that, or if you get taken to any place like a rehab, which I hope you don't for either of these things, you if, you, if your loved ones think you need to stay, you need to stay. And I regret every day, you know, not being able to stay and not, you know, getting the help I needed. And so I lied, you know, cause I'm cool and everything and I got myself out. But two weeks later I attempted suicide again and then I woke up in the morning kind of surprised that I was still there. And I just went to school and I didn't tell anybody. And I just kept chugging along because I didn't really know what to do with myself at that point, because I had just become kind of the shell of Chapman. And so at this point in January, I met this man named Nathan. So you can go ahead pull up Nathan, he's the guy in the middle, that's Clay, love him. This was at graduation, which I know I'm a baby, it happened less than a year ago. Uh, Nathan met me and he saw something in me that I had never seen in myself. He saw potential when I saw a failure and he poured into me when I really didn't wanna get poured into, he saw I was the greatest thing ever and I didn't. And he works at Mountain Lake Church, which if you don't know where that is, it's four minutes across 400. And it's basically the same thing as this, but smaller, but it's the same rock and roll, Jesus, all that good stuff. And so Nathan invites me and, he, and I'm there and he's pouring into me and he's trying to get me back to where I was because he saw something in, in me that I really didn't. But my faith had begun, you know, steadily increasing and steadily increasing And then March of 2017 came and I had what, you know, the fancy doctors like to call a psychotic break, which basically is an intense manic episode that I don't remember for the most part. And so basically what I was told was I tried to run away. It didn't happen because, you know, I'm here. And then (sighs) that wasn't a good joke. I'm sorry. (laughs) And I threw a chair at my dad, which I apologize for afterwards but the things i do remember was i locked myself in my room and i attempted suicide for the last time but somehow my mom got in and what i do remember is her face about this far away and i remember last week joey uh when one of the questions was like uh what's your motivation how do you keep you know holding on when you don't really think you can and for a long time afterwards it was just the face my mom made at that moment like i just, I'm never gonna you know, erase that from my brain, never gonna erase that. And I just never wanted to make my mom that sad again because she didn't deserve that. She'd given me the world and I had done that to her. And I don't think I'm, it took me a long time to ever forgive myself for making her that upset. So they lay with me and then they take me to the hospital, behavioral health center in the morning and I know I need to stay. I know what had happened. or I knew what had happened and I knew that that's where I needed to be. So I end up staying and I stay there for about a week. And so I have visiting hours on a Saturday. So it's about 30 minutes of one group and then 30 minutes of the next. So, you know, everyone can see me. So Clay and Will come first. And I remember looking at them thinking, I don't deserve y'all, I don't, you guys, it was far too. And they drove all the way out there on a Saturday and they saw me and they, Just, they didn't have anything to talk about. They didn't ask any questions. We just hung out. We just were, you know, like the old times, you know, our normal squad. And we just hung out and we talked. And I remember just thinking that I wasn't worthy of them. And I don't think I was really worthy of anybody by that point. And then so they leave and then just my mom comes down and it's like in this little cafeteria and I see her and she walks over and she hugs me. This is a little bit longer than she would normally hug me and a little bit tighter than she would normally hug me. And she sits down and we're just talking. We're talking like normal, but I can tell she wants to cry really bad. And I know in my heart that I want to cry really bad, but we both don't. And we just start talking and we're having a good time. And then when she leaves, I consider that my rock bottom because I eventually I get out and I don't really, you know, see any point in, you know, being myself anymore. I had taken, you know, my little, hello, my name is. I had taken that label off and I just put bipolar or mistake or fluke, or I often said defect in the whole grand scheme of what God had planned. And I didn't think I was worthy if I was a mistake, if I was this, you know, fluke of any sort of love, any sort of attention. I didn't think God even wanted me at that point. And so Nathan, the wonderful man he is, knew that, And he kept pushing and he kept pushing. And eventually he brings me on a mission trip to Jamaica, which is the next picture. Yep, Uh, we had a great time. I did have my hair braided, don't judge me. Um, And I remember at that point, it had been several weeks since I'd been at the hospital and I kind of clicked online. I had gotten out and I had just been going through the motions. I had just, you know, not really lived life, you know, first person. I was just kind of watching myself do everything. But I remember in Jamaica, my life finally kicked into gear and it finally, you know, I was, I was me again. I was, you know, the fun Chapman. I was the one, you know, doing my best. And so we get back from Jamaica and Nathan looks at me and he's, he's like, dude, you killed it this week. And so he, here he coined this phrase that I will never forget. And it's always been really funny to me. He called me the lazy Phoenix, which you know, normally phoenixes, pheni, whatever, they rise, they rise really fast. You know, they come out in this big glorious thing and they're all this majestic, whatever. But he said that it's gonna take a lot longer for me to do that. He said, I crawled out of the ashes and took the stairs up to the top. So I am the lazy phoenix, but I think Nathan's in the little greeny shirt in the bottom left. Uh, He saw more than me than I had ever seen before. And so it was a long, long journey. Eventually in the summer, I went to a kid's camp and I was distracted and I was, you know, teaching kids Jesus. And I had really, you know, started to become my full self. And so it was a, the, it was a long time. And then all the way into November, 2017, the day before Thanksgiving was my last day that I ever self self-harmed, self-harmed. And I remember it was a year on Thanksgiving Day this past year, and I was the most proud of myself that I've ever been. I'm coming up on 18 months, and it's just, it's a big deal. Thank you. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's one of the biggest accomplishments I think I'll ever, you know, hold myself against, and it's just, you know, it's a big deal to me. And so that next semester, so my senior semester, senior second semester, I get hired at Mountain Lake and I'm working with the youth and we go back to Jamaica and everything. And I feel like I'm just pouring myself out to these kids. And I feel like it's just been the most rewarding thing. And I feel like my faith is slowly climbing up back to where it is. And then, you know, fast forward to today, it's an everyday battle. I still have frequent manic episodes. I still have some pretty intense depressive episodes, but I do take medicine and it turns it from like, you know, the Goliath to like a little bumblebee ride where it's just kind of like that, you know? And so it is an everyday battle. And I never, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm okay. Or I never fully think I'm ever gonna be 100% you know, normal brain. But I do think from Jesus, you know, him allowing me to pour into others and Nathan helping me pour into others and just constantly, you know, working on myself, doing my best, not letting myself slip into, you know, depressive or even manic episodes. It really has been a big deal. And it, I don't know. It just, every day is a new day and it's an everyday struggle. But I always told myself that if I ever get to help one kid, which is why I think mainly I wanna work in youth ministry. um, If I ever get to help one kid, or if I even, you know, leave one kid to Christ, it would all be worth it. Everything that happened, if my story will help one kid, if one event in my life would help one kid, then it would all be worth it. And that's what Nathan always told me. And that's what I think I believe now. And so when Ryan was like, hey, do you want to do this? I was like, I kind of was super nervous about it. But then I remembered what Nathan always said. And I remember what I had convinced myself to believe is that if I could help one kid, it would all be worth it. So yeah, if you guys want to talk to me afterwards or, uh, you know, send me some good little texts or whatever, that would be great. But remember, I am pretty introverted, so you're gonna have to make the first move. But yeah, so thank you for listening. Uh, yeah.
1: Awesome job, my friend.
0: Thank you. Ooh.
1: That was really good. Really? Yeah. You, you look think the so? Device. Yeah, I mean, they loved it. Yeah. Cool. Um. First of all, Bella, I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for dressing them up well uh, tonight. Um, is Nathan here? No, we couldn't make He it was hard. working. Okay. Yeah. I just, you know, listening to your story, I'm so grateful for Nathan uh, in your world. And um, me too. My Nathan was a guy named Norris, who uh, really pursued me when I was extremely rebellious and unlovable, and. Uh, I bet there might be a, several of you who have Nathans and Norrises in your life. And some of those people are not even sitting next to you in this very room. So I love that part of your story. Um, hey, thanks so much for submitting questions. Um, if you forgot, hey, no big deal. Uh, we got a few that, honestly, they're going to somewhat be in random order. And, uh, again, uh, this human being, he would be the first to tell you he's he's not an expert on, you know. Um, not even things a little bit. Are, you know, uh, as far as, like, mental health and things like that, but he is an expert on himself. So, um, sort of, sort of, right? right? We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Uh, We all are. Um, here's the first question. Very, very similar, uh, to one that happened last week. Um, Chavin, what is something that you wish someone had said to you or done for you during your struggles, uh, throughout high school? Maybe anything different than, um, maybe before, you know, you met Nathan,
0: um, well, my dad always says there's team Chapman, which is all these people around me that are super supportive and you know, are super loving and want me to do my best and they want me to be healthy. And when it was all happening, I didn't really talk about it. I didn't really tell anybody for most of high school, and I wish someone would have just been like, look at all the people around you. You have so many people, it's your parents, it's your best friends, it's everybody, and you're not letting any of them, you know, pour into you like they should or You're not even trying to, you know, cry out to God for help or anything like that. You're trying to take it all on your own. And I wish someone would have been like, hey, you're not that strong.
1: Sure. That's great. Uh, The reality is, um, I was sitting back there listening. This is the only question, but it's a question I have, that uh, there might not be a lot of you all who have somebody who experiences um, some of the same things that you have experienced or somebody that's been diagnosed with bipolar. And, uh, but chances are you might bump into someone, um, like Chapman someday. And just out of curiosity, uh, someone that has bipolar, wh- what, are some things that we need to know as friends with, with, uh, human beings that, um, that actually have that diagnosis, um, just anything else that we should just be aware of? If someone's like, man, this person's in my life, I'm not really sure, um, how to love them well, anything just,
0: uh, um, your brain? Well, when it comes to, I basically have three moods, the manic, the Chapman, and the depressive. Uh, I require three different forms of love. You know, I require lots of attention when I'm you know, in the depression. Uh, I'm normal, you know, when I'm me. And then in the manic thing, I just, I need someone to kind of calm me down. So, uh, I mean, in the manic, you can be like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's, you know, don't do that and just kind of, Be the the sound mind, and whenever it happens, or like when everyone is like, wow, that's great, let's go get coffee instead, or something like that. Just being, you know, the one that has their feet on the ground and, you know, the one who has, you know, logic in their brain. Um, I think for the normal, it's different for every person. I require a different, you know, form of love than, you know, probably you, I would assume. And then in the depressive, I need lots of attention because, you know, that's who I am, that's who I've always been but uh, you can't really convince someone out of it. You can't be like, oh no, you're not like that. Or, you know, you can't talk them out of the, you know the self-deprecating thoughts that they're having you know, the bad thoughts that they're having. You can't really convince them that those aren't true because their brain is wired to believe that your brain is wired to think that. So you just, I guess, need to protect them and you need to be with them. And, you know, I don't think it's hard to convince them but I think if you just are constantly there and showing that you're going to be there no matter what, that is the you know the best way to show them. Yeah, love it, love
1: it. Um, you you mentioned in some of your uh, some of the things you were saying, um, especially when they said, "Hey, um, how about some medication?" You're like, uh, "No, I'm I'm," um, he double hockey sticks bent on. Uh, Was not I not doing allowed a- to say that? No, please. Are okay, you we're adults. No. Um, <laughs> Wait <Oops. wing>. <laughs> No, I don't, no one cares. Um, but it's I'm curious because of someone uh, who like, hey, I, I always had a uh, a position or posture towards medicine, medication, mm-hmm. and then going on myself, you know, about a year ago or something, and then having a lot of friends who were kind of on both sides of the equation. Um, we had a few mm-hmm. about the medication thing. What was there anything um, that really kind of pushed you in the like, you know what? I'm just going to concede and, you know, I'm going to take this medication.
0: Was there any? Well, it's not like a change of heart, really. I was in the hospital and they were, we went to this little window and they're like, here's your little ketchup cup of medicine and you take it and then that would be it. And so they're like, here, here's an extra pill. And I was like, wait, I don't, I don't want that. So I called my dad He's, you know, I threw a fit and he was like, I, I guess the doctor said it's okay. So I just took it because my dad said it was cool and I was in a really weird state and the hospital made me. So, but then I realized it was working. And I think that was the difference. I didn't ever believe that it would either work or it would change me so much that I wouldn't like who I was at that point. So I think kind of being forced to take the medicine and seeing that it did help and seeing that it did, you know, you know, level things out pretty well. It kind of showed me that I was like, oh, okay, this is legit. This isn't just, you know, something to kind of mind control me or anything like that.
1: Uh, just we only have time for one or two more. First of all, and I think this spe- person speaks for a lot of us. Um, they say, "I'm really proud of you. Um, I'm three years clean of self harm as of tomorrow." Good uh, job. Uh, yeah. Holy even, crap. three times. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Um, then they continue. Even though times get hard, uh, what are your tips for looking towards God um, in the tough times?
0: in the tough times in terms of like wanting to self-harm and all that or all of it
1: Uh, i would say yes
0: self-harm all of it it. um well i'll go both ways uh for self-harm i move a lot and i'll like one of the main things i always do is i'll just drive around and listen 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 to like worship music and stuff because it's like a good way to distract myself and you know not be that alone with my thoughts and everything, but also bring God into the mix. And I'll just scream the worship as I go because like, and I'll like really mean it, I guess. And I think that's a good way as it keeps me moving. It keeps me distracted, but it also brings God into the picture. And I think I do that even if I am just, you know, down. Uh, worship music's a big deal for me. Um, I have my Bible and I try to read it as much as I can. I'm not killer at it, but I do read it extra when i'm feeling down because you know and i have certain passages that i have you know highlighted specifically for those times awesome thank you
1: um well we are going to end the q a there but um chapman thanks so much for sharing your story with us of course and uh that's right Um, i'd love to pray for us pray for you and then i'll I'll tell everybody what's next The, the cool thing about um you know, uh, Chapman sharing a story in this series, in my opinion, that that we all have one. We all all are on a journey. Uh, I personally believe that God is still writing uh, our stories. And um, I just appreciate you giving us permission to be real and vulnerable uh, with the things that are not pretty, that are probably you uh, harness some bit of embarrassment or shame or guilt. And I just love that you seemingly gave us just the real version Um, of you. So thanks for doing that. Of course. Um, We certainly look up to you for that, and we're grateful uh, for the journey that God has you on. So thank you, my friend. Let me pray for us, and then I'll tell you what's next. Heavenly Father, Uh, we're grateful um, for tonight and creating this place for us. Um, And God, I know that uh, uh, you have been present here this evening uh, from start to finish, from conversations at dinner um, all the way. Uh, to this Q&A. God, thank you for Chapman um, and his story. Thank you um, that you uh, pursued him, um, even though at times maybe he didn't want that or didn't even see that. Um, Thank you for being um, Jesus um, in the flesh through uh, Nathan and a lot of individuals um, in his world. Um God, I pray that you would continue just to be with him on his journey. Um, I love how he articulated that it still is a journey that he still has uh, the ups and downs. Um, he still has the bumblebee rides and the occasional goliaths and uh, God, the reality is that w- we all have that to some degree and um, you love us uh, even still. And so I pray God that you would continue to help him um, not hide and continue to bring things out in the open as much as um, he might want to keep it to himself at times. Uh, So I I pray that that, uh, his story gives us permission to do the same, that we um, would come out of hiding uh, in certain areas of our life and just be um, honest and open uh, with where you have us. So thank you, Jesus, um, for your work and your continued work in his life and so many of ours, and uh, we're just grateful. It's in your name we pray, amen.